see all of you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, as we're continuing our study in 1 Peter on Sunday mornings. By the way, I want to just commend you all and encourage you all. At the end of last year, I was encouraging us as a church to make sure that, you know, if it's at all possible to get here on time, to get here early. And you guys are doing that, okay? So thank you all for, for you know, making the effort to be here and, and to get here as early as possible because there's a lot of even great fellowship and whatnot that can happen uh, and encouragement even before we begin at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. I believe that there is a crisis of faith even in the church of those who profess to be believers today in our country. A few months ago, there was a new Gallup poll taken that concluded that eight out of ten Americans say they believe in God, but only one out of those eight are really sure and confident about what they believe. Now think about that. Think about that. Only one out of eight are really sure and confident about what they believe, even when they say they believe? What are the implications of that? For us as Christians, for our country, for even our church, I mean, you even start looking around and going, okay, if that was true, even if everybody here this morning says, I believe in God. That only means at the most, two out of every ten here this morning are really sure and confident about what you believe. The reason why this is so important, remember, is Peter's writing this at the end of his life and he wants to share with Christians who come after him all that he's learned about walking with Christ and being a Christian. And, and obviously, he feels like this is so important that this is sort of where he begins his letter. Last week, we talked about the fact that he wanted to make sure that we understood our identity and who we really are in Jesus Christ and how that can carry us through many difficulties and trials and challenges. But now he wants to bring it right down to our faith. Because that's what real faith really is. It is literally taking God at his word. Faith is being sure. It is being confident. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us this. In Hebrews 11.1, he says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being confident of the things we do not see. That's how the Bible defines faith. Sure. Confidence. That's what faith is. And God wants his people to have that kind of faith. We live by that kind of faith. You see, that's how we even entered into a relationship with God in the first place was through faith, for it was by grace through faith, not of our works, lest anyone should boast. So Peter wants to talk to us today about being sure and about encouraging us to be sure and confident in what we believe, because he's going to share with us the benefits of this kind of faith. And listen, you, you and I, 
We can almost hear Peter passionately teaching on this because many times when he walked with Jesus as a disciple, he heard many times from Jesus, oh, ye of little faith, you know, if you just believe, if you would just trust, if you would just rest all of your weight on me and truly believe in what I've told you, it would make such a difference in your life. God calls us to faith. And all of us here today, all those who will be listening to this message at some time in the future, ask yourself this question. If I say I believe, then the next question is, am I sure of what I believe? Am I confident about what I believe? Because that's what faith is. And maybe God needs to take that little bit of faith that I have here today, and he's going to begin to strengthen it and grow it. And I'm going to begin to figure out how to nurture that so that if I'm not so sure and confident, I can begin to be more sure and confident about my walk with God and my relationship with God and who I am in Christ. That's why, beginning in verse 3, Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, By his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, he talks to us in verse 3 about this living hope. And we sang a lot about hope this morning in in our songs. But many people, even Christians, when it comes to sort of differentiating or defining words that they see in the Bible, they have a hard time with it. So I'm going to maybe try to help us with that and maybe be able to help you gain an understanding that maybe you haven't had up to this point, just so you can be a little bit more even sure about what is the difference between faith and hope? And are they really the same? They're really not. Faith, you could sort of say, is the foundation of it all. It's where we become sure and confident about what God has said. And it sort of gets, using a modern slang term, it gets locked down in our being. It it is something that we are so convinced of, so sure of, that we can sort of pack that away and go... You know, I know God's got this, or I, I, I believe, it. I'm sure, I'm confident. That's locking it down. And God wants to lock these truths down in our lives so that out of that faith, we can have hope. Hope is what can result from our faith. And the difference between hope and faith is that hope is looking forward. It is looking into the future with absolute certainty about the good and the blessings and all that God has promised to give me. And so the faith that I have gives me a hope to look into the future, to look beyond the here and now and to concentrate and focus on what God has promised me. That's what hope is. So that's why God wants us to be sure, first of all, because being sure enables us to look forward with a living hope. See, if I haven't locked down what God has said and truly am sure and confident about it, then my look won't be forward. It will be backward. I'll be looking over my shoulder rather than looking to the future and looking ahead. Let me even give you an example from our own life as Christians about how this works. 
If I really don't believe, if I'm really not sure and confident that God has forgiven me of something, that I haven't gotten to a point where by faith I have accepted God's forgiveness, then instead of looking forward like Paul, who said, I forget those things that were behind. And Paul had a lot that could have haunted him throughout the rest of his life. But Paul said, by faith, I forget those things that are behind because God has forgotten them. And I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's look was always forward because he knew that by faith, God had taken care of his past. And therefore, he didn't have to always be looking over his shoulder or looking behind him at what he had done be, be, you know, in, back here so that he could totally focus on where God wanted to take him in the future. So Peter's saying same thing. Have you locked down these truths so that instead of looking in your past and looking behind you and looking back at this and looking back at that and still being haunted by this and still being bothered by what this person did or whatever, that you have, like the Bible says by faith, you have entrusted that situation and them into the hands of God and you're letting God take care of it so that you are able to look forward, then Peter says, look at what we've got to look forward to. He says, this living hope is real, it's tangible, because first of all, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, if I believe that, if I'm sure of that, if I'm confident that my Savior is not dead, he's not in a grave somewhere, that he really is alive, he's breathing, he's active, he's at the right hand of God the Father, he rules the universe then I can look forward with hope. Because I know that Jesus told me that if he lives, I live. That he's the resurrection and the life. And though I will physically die one day because i got to lay this body of sin down, I've got an eternal future. Can I look to that future? And then Peter starts to describe why we should be looking to this future. First of all, notice in verse 4. He says, that is to an inheritance. God promised every believer in Christ an inheritance. The word means a personal share or place in glory. That's why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. An individual place. And the reason why Peter can't go into all the specifics about this personal share or place, this inheritance, is because it's going to be different for each one of us. Because it's going to be personalized. That's why he gives us a general description of our inheritance, but not a specific description of our inheritance. Because it will be fashioned and tailored to us specifically. That's how God is. But the first thing he wants us to know is we have an inheritance. Do you believe? Are you sure? Are you confident of that today, my friends? See, that will start to get your look from looking around on earth and looking at what the world offers and looking at what even Satan may give and looking at your past and looking to maybe the good old days and begin to start getting your focus on what is ahead and what God has promised. And Peter is saying, if we really believe and if we're really sure and confident about the things that God has promised us, we won't be able to help but look ahead to this wonderful inheritance. That he begins to describe this way. First of all, 
It is indestructible. Or I'm sorry, imperishable is the first one. That means it's not liable to decay. It's not going to wear out. Everything that we purchase on earth eventually decays. It eventually wears out. Peter's saying the great thing about our inheritance is it will never over eternity ever wear out. It will never decay. There's not any kind of fat in it at all. It's not going to be, you know, in or popular this year. And then next year, God's got to change it because, well, it's not in anymore. Not our inheritance. And then he says, undefiled. This word in the Greek means in perfect condition. Mint condition. You know, even new things on earth aren't in perfect condition. They're not absolutely perfect even when we first buy them. But not our inheritance. In heaven it will be absolutely perfect and stay that way. And then the word unfading means indestructible. Nothing will ever be able to destroy our personal share and place in God's kingdom. And then he goes on to tell us, it is reserved in heaven for you. The word reserved means to be watched over carefully. In other words, Peter's saying, friend, don't you realize that your inheritance is totally secure? God himself watches over this personal share and place that he has made for you. He's going to make sure that nothing happens to your inheritance until you and I get there to begin to enjoy it. Don't you want to look ahead at that? Why are you so caught up with the things that decay and fade and the things that are, you know, in this year and not next year? Why are you putting all your energy and focus into that instead of looking ahead? Well, because it comes back to, are we really sure? Are we really sure and confident about what God has said? Because being sure enables us as believers to, instead of looking behind and looking back and looking over our shoulder, to look ahead with a living hope. That's what hope is, looking ahead. Fueled out of the foundation of our faith. Oh, he doesn't stop there. He not only tells us that God watches over carefully our inheritance, now he's going to tell us in verse 5, God also protects us so that we'll make it to our inheritance. This really gets me excited. He says, who? That's us. By God's power are protected. God's power. Not our power. It's not up to us to protect us for our inheritance. God has obligated himself and promised, I will protect you. By the way, the word protect here is a Greek military term. It means under military guard. God is saying, not only have I locked down your inheritance so you can be sure that when you get there, it's there. It's, it's, you know, nothing's happened to it. It's exactly the way I designed it. Everything is in place just the way I made it for you. But you're going to get there to enjoy it. Because I'm protecting you. It's what God promises in his word. Are we really sure about that? That's why God said. That's why Paul said to the Philippians. 
He who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many that I think, when you start talking about us being secure, they misunderstand folks like myself who teach that where I'm coming from. That doesn't mean when you balance scripture with scripture that I believe that that gives Christians a license to go out and live however they want to. That's a total misunderstanding of what this security is all about. But what he is telling us is that God is able to keep us and everything that we entrusted to him until that day. That's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. God is able to keep that. And to keep us for that, you see. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God wastes time? Do you believe he would get involved in something to where it ends up that 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 was just a waste? I don't think that. I don't see the Bible ever saying God wastes time. So hang in there with me. Follow this through. If God doesn't waste his time on something that's never going to happen, then why would God design and build this place for me if I'm not ever going to get there? If somewhere along the line, I could mess it up, and now he spent this time in eternity making a place for me, but somehow I'm not going to get there to enjoy it then God wouldn't make it in the first place, right? He'd wait to see who finally ends up making it there and who doesn't, because he's not going to waste his time. See, God didn't say that. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Do we believe that or not? Are we sure? Are we confident? And again, is our confidence in us? Shouldn't be. It should be in God's power who keeps us under military guard and is going to make sure that we get there. Again, that doesn't mean we won't fall. That doesn't mean we won't backslide. We won't sin. We won't have seasons in our life spiritually where we're far away from the Lord. But that doesn't mean that ultimately speaking, we still won't get there. As Paul said to the Corinthians, we might be saved as by fire and there might not be anything to show for our Christian life, but that means we still get there. So, Peter says, are you sure? Are you confident? Because being sure and confident allows us to look forward with the living hope. Secondly, notice this. Being sure and confident also helps us to navigate the trials of life triumphantly. Oh, this is so important and practical and relevant too. Notice what he begins to say in verse 6. This brings you great joy. And we'll come back to that later on. Although you have to suffer. Oh, by the way, Christian, please don't miss that. Do you realize the Bible teaches that suffering, enduring pain, and all of that, even as a Christian, is inevitable? Oh, please don't miss that in the Word of God. Because there are many Christians that somehow think that because they're a Christian and they're trying to live for the Lord, that somehow they're not going to go through trials. And so when they go through a trial, immediately their first question is, God, why? Well, if you were sure and confident about what God said about trials, you would know 
It doesn't matter how good I am or how righteous I am or how much I'm trying to live for the Lord. Every person on earth, Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. We live in a fallen world. We're going to experience suffering. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. But being sure and confident about what God has said and taking God at his word enables me then to handle these trials that come into my life triumphantly. In other words, they don't run me over. I am able through God to rise above the trials of my life if I'm sure and confident about what I believe, which is what he says. This brings you great joy, although you have to suffer for a short time compared to the hope of eternity in various trials, adversity, affliction, trouble. Notice, such trials prove or show the proven character of what? Our faith. Which is much more valuable than gold. There are a lot of believers that don't believe that. Gold or faith? I'll take gold. But the word says, faith is more valuable than any amount of... Being sure and confident as a Christian is the most valuable thing to a Christian. That makes all the difference in how we live life and navigate it. If you're not sure and confident, then the trials of life are going to hammer us. But when we are sure, we know that the trials show the proven character of our faith being much more valuable than gold. Gold, even though it's tested by fire, even though one day it will pass away, it will be rendered useless in God's kingdom. It won't be of any value at all. It'll be totally put out of the way. Think about that. Gold won't mean anything in eternity, but our faith will, which is what he goes on to say. He says, even though it is passing away, that our faith is going to bring praise and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. What Peter is saying is this. If I'm sure and confident about what God has said about life and trials and the purpose, then every time I am allowed by God to go through a trial, even as a Christian, I immediately, because of my faith, know this is valuable. This is worth something here. God is using this trial in my life to purify me. That's part of why he uses the whole gold thing. Because when gold is tested by fire, it is refined, it is purified. It gets all of the, you know, the dross and all the stuff that's, that makes it impure and defiled. It gets rid of it all. And what's left is this, this pure piece of gold. And God is saying to us, if we truly trust him and believe in him, and we are sure and confident about what he says, then even when the trials of life befall us, we can rejoice because we know they are of great value. And they are a great worth to us even on this earth before we get to glory. And God is using it to strengthen me, to purify me, to refine me, and to make me more like Christ. But when I'm not sure, when I'm not confident, 
in what I believe, then when trials come into my life, what do we do? We question God. God, why? Because we don't see the value of it. Or we begin to have a little pity party for ourselves. And we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. And then our thoughts turn against God who's allowing this. And it becomes a barrier between us and our God. Rather than bringing us closer to our God. Because then we begin to distance ourselves from a God that would allow something like this. Because we don't see the value of it. We don't see the worth of it. Because maybe the value and the worth of it isn't something that we're even going to see on this earth. Maybe the value and worth of it isn't something that's not revealed to us till we get to glory. Which we should be looking towards through our hope that is based on our faith. This is why Peter says, oh, Christian, be sure and confident. It makes all the difference in your life. I know from personal experience, Peter says. Because being sure enables us to look forward with a living hope. Being sure enables us to face the trials of life triumphantly. Because we get it. Because we truly take God at his word, we understand what's going on here. And the trials don't beat us. We rise above them and see the value that God's bringing into our life through them. Something else Peter talked about beginning in verse 8. Being sure in confidence also enables us to stay committed to God's process in our lives. This is so important. Being sure and confident enables us to stay committed to God's process in our lives. A process, by the way, may I remind all of us, that is lifelong. Notice what he says. And this is from somebody who saw Jesus with his own eyeballs, right? Who touched Jesus with his own hands. And yet notice what he says about the power of faith and how great faith can be in the life of even people who have never seen Jesus with their own eyeballs. Never touched him like the apostles. And yet notice what he says about faith. Verse 8. You've not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him even now, but you believe in him. And so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. Here's why, Peter says. Because you are attaining an ongoing process. The goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. What Peter's describing there in verse 9 is very important for us to grasp as Christians. That even though we enter into salvation through a moment in time belief in who Jesus is, accepting him as our personal savior, that we must understand what the Bible teaches about this salvation. That it's not just a moment in time thing. It is then that we just enter into a lifetime process of God working in our lives, making us more like Jesus Christ, restoring in us who God created us to be in the first place, Restoring the image of him that he created in us that was marred through the entrance of sin. Even being in Adam's line, as Paul talks to the Romans about. So that even every one of us, we were born into sin. Therefore, the image of God in us was marred. And how God restores that image is through the new birth. Through being born again. That's how it starts. But friends, that's not where it ends. 
This process of restoration that God performs in all of our lives as Christians is a lifelong, lifetime process. Little by little, through our lives. And unless I am sure and confident about what God has said, then as Christians, we don't stay committed to that process. That's why you have Christians, and maybe even it describes us at one point in our life, who, man, they were faithful to the house of God. When people met, they were there. They were engaged in Bible studies, and they had their own personal time in the Word. And, man, they prayed to God, and they told other people about Jesus. And they were, as we say, they were on fire for God. But it only lasted for a couple months, a couple years, maybe even five or ten years. But what about a lifetime? See, Peter's saying... How you and I stay committed to this process and don't disengage and get distracted by all that's out there and start making other things more of a priority than our walk with God is when we truly are sure and confident about what God has said. So that we can, along with Paul, say, I reckon that the glories uh, or the sufferings of this world are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us one day. Romans 8.18 If I believe that, then there's nothing that this world or nothing that I could get involved with on this earth that's of more value than making sure I'm taking care of my faith. Because the Bible says, God said, it's more valuable than any gold or any amount of riches that the world can offer us. There's nothing more valuable in our lives as Christians than making sure we are sure and confident. Because of all the wonderful results that comes out of that kind of faith. Being sure enables us to look ahead with a living hope. Being sure enables us to live triumphantly in spite of trials. Being sure enables us to stay committed to the process that God started when we became a Christian. And not just to get engaged for a little bit of time and then back out. See, our faithfulness, which is why these words obviously are together. Our faithfulness as Christians... Is, comes out of our faith. That's why the words are so similar. You show me some a Christian who's faithful, and I'll show you a Christian who at that moment, their faith is strong. It's not little faith. It's great, strong, growing faith because it's out of our faith where we're taking God at his word and we are sure and confident in what we believe that our faithfulness comes out of. That's why many Christians today aren't very faithful because their faith is suffering. They're not really sure and coming. Going back to the beginning of my message, eight out of 10 Christians, latest Gallup poll, said they, eight out of 10 Americans say they believe in God. Only one out of those eight are sure and confident about what they believe, a crisis of faith. And then one other one I want to share with you this morning. And you've seen it if you've read this passage and followed along with me. You know what else being sure does? It fills our life with joy. Being sure and confident fills our life with joy. Notice how many times he talks about joy in this passage where he's talking about faith. If you go back up to verse 6. 
This, what's this? The truth sustaining us. The the surety and confidence we have in what he's just talked about. Our living hope. This, he says, should bring you great joy. The word great here means uncontainable, unhindered joy. When was the last time you came across a Christian that had uncontainable joy? You just even looked at them as a Christian and went, they're weird. Because they can't stop smiling. They just seem to have this glow about them. You know, that is real. When you and I spend time in the presence of God and our faith is growing, it does show up on our face. Think about Moses. Think about when he came off that mountain and he had spent time with God. The Israelites said, man, your, your face is like glowing. There's a difference in you, the way you carry yourself, Moses. There's a difference in your countenance. That's absolutely true, because that's what joy will do. Because you can't fake joy. You can fake being happy. Or you as a Christian, can, you and I can lie when, when somebody says, how are you doing? I say, oh, I'm doing good. When you're really dying inside. We, we can do that. But joy, you can't fake. And real joy, when God is building it into our lives through our faith, it is uncontainable. It is unhindered. Nothing can take away our joy. Happiness, as, as you know, human beings, it comes and goes with our circumstances. We're happy when things are going good. We're unhappy when things are bad. Joy is something that is constant and can be constant because it's based on our faith. You see. Which shouldn't be going up and down. So this brings you great joy. Although you have to suffer for a short time. See, even in the midst of suffering, experiencing pain and affliction and adversity and trouble, Christians can still be joyful. Why? Because my joy is being fueled by my faith and I am sure and confident in what God is doing and who God is and what he's promised me. And I don't let trials on this earth get me down. And then notice what he says in verse 8. You've not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him. And because of our belief in him, notice, then we are rejoicing. By the way, you know what this word means? It means to leap or jump for joy. I would do it, but some of you would think I'm a little, you know, getting a little... But think about it. That's the kind of joy God wants to build into our lives as believers that we literally like just jump and leap for joy because of our belief, our faith. He says, this makes us rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. A display of a deep sense of well-being. Thriving on the inside no matter what's going on on the outside. For example, that's why Paul could sing in prison and be praising God in prison, not knowing whether he was going to die because of his joy, because of his faith, 
Because he had long ago settled it with God. That he was putting his life in God's hands. And if this was the end for Paul, so be it. He had a living hope to look forward to. An inheritance that was indestructible, unfading, undefiled. It was a promotion to Paul. And if God left him here because God had more for him to do, that was fine with Paul too. He had settled it. Have you settled it? Are you sure? Are you confident? Or are we in that generation that Jesus talks about? In Luke 18, when he talks about returning to earth, when he says these sobering words, Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns to earth, will he find faith on earth? Wow. Will I find faith on earth? Will I really find people who truly have taken God at his word? Who are sure and confident about what we believe? That we have locked it down. And then we can begin to build on that. So that we can look forward with a living hope instead of looking behind us all our life. So that we can navigate the trials of life triumphantly. Even rejoicing though we may have to suffer for a short amount of time in various trials. That we've locked it down so that we stay committed to this lifelong, lifetime process that God wants to do in our life. Instead of getting real, you know, godly and real faithful for a while and then, you know. This roller coaster Christian life where we're, you know, we're way up with God and we're real faithful for a while and then we back off. How do you stay committed? We stay committed through our faith. If we really are sure and confident about what God says, it keeps us committed to this process. And fourth, and this is the one that obviously affects our attitude and what others can see the most. Being sure and confident about what we believe fills us with joy. A joy that nothing on earth and no one can take away from us. Because it's a gift from God. Are you sure today, my friends? Next week, come back. Because Peter's going to talk to us about if you want to grow in being more sure, you want to build that faith, Peter's going to tell us how to do that next week. Let's pray. God, I pray today for all of us here, that God, through this passage of Scripture, that all of us have been reminded of the importance of faith and that we really are understanding what faith really is. It is simply taking God at His word. If God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Faith is being sure of what we hope for being confident about what we do not see. God, you want to build that kind of confidence and assurance into our life. God, it takes us putting forth some effort. We've got to put ourselves in the right places. We've got to hang out with the right kind of people. We've got to be part of a church that that's their emphasis. 
We've got to make time in our own life to fellowship with you. We've got to own this, God. We're personally responsible to nurture this faith and to keep it growing. So, God, I pray today for all of us here that every one of us have been encouraged and challenged in the area of our faith. And that hopefully, God, if we weren't very sure and confident about the things that we believe when we walked into this building, that if nothing else, you are beginning to plant seeds of of assurance and confidence in our lives as we leave this place. And that you are lighting a fire in all of us who are here and all who will hear this message, God, that that we want to do our part and, and we will take personal responsibility to make sure that the faith you gave us when we were saved is a faith now that we're going to nurture and do everything we can to see grow so that we can live a life of surety and confidence. God, do a work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, every